Stephanie Mitten and Miranda Novak run a podcast called Women Don't Do That. They have conversations with women changemakers and women risk-takers. The podcast was formed when Stephanie, who lives in Ottawa, flew to Winnipeg to visit her longtime friend after a failed attempt at entering federal politics. And I was out there and she was kind of being my therapist. We were going through like, what did I want to do now? And it it felt very, in some ways, very liberating because it's not very often you have time off of work as a professional to really consider what do I want to do now? Do I want to do the same things? Do I want to do something different? We unpacked some of the sexism I, I faced during my campaign. And I'd been doing a lot of thinking. And it, it was so funny. We honestly just decided that day, why don't we do a podcast and We made up a name and bought the URL the same day. Like, it was insane. Miranda says the goal of Women Don't Do That is to have continued, meaningful, and authentic conversations. And to inspire women to think outside of the box for their own lives. Like, maybe boundaries that they've put on themselves or that they've allowed society or other people to put on them. to to recognize them and to move past them. Miranda, who's experienced the loss of a young child, talks about resilience. She says we have to believe in our ability to go through serious life challenges and to get back up and keep going. But if we stay in a place of feeling sorry for ourselves, if we let others feel sorry for ourselves, that becomes the driving narrative that that we get stuck in. And it's so hard to move forward from that position. And then you really, you really almost numb or silence that voice inside of you that's pushing you forward. You take on a victim mentality. Stephanie Mitten and Miranda Novak, the creators of the podcast Women Don't Do That, on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. So I feel like today has just been a really exciting day. And right now it's late summer, getting to be late summer late afternoon and it's been a long time coming but I'm just so thrilled to have on the call today uh, Stephanie Mitten and Miranda Novak uh, from the podcast Women Don't Do That. Guys thank you so much for joining me today for an episode. I'm just so thrilled that we finally got to do this among the craziness that is our world today. Thanks, Bonnie. I've been looking forward to it all week. Thanks so much for having us. Great. Thanks. So I think we'll just get started. I find it really cool. Your podcast, by the way, is really great and everybody should should listen to it. Obviously, we have a lot of similarities between Run It Like a Girl and Women Don't Do That. Uh, we probably have some similar views on on the world today and what it's like to be a, a woman. But you guys, you guys have been friends for over 15 years now, which... You know, it's pretty incredible. You don't even live in the same city. Um, (laughs) Stephanie, you're in Ottawa. Miranda, you're in Winnipeg. I'd love to know, uh, to start talking about how you guys met and why you decided to do a podcast and why you decided to do it together. Uh, Maybe we'll start, uh, Stephanie, with you. Sure. So Miranda and I met in university and meeting on campus, I think, through mutual friends. And then we were lucky enough to be roommates. So it, as you can probably relate for a lot of people when you live with people you get very close very fast so uh, we worked in similar industries with politics and then stayed in touch when Miranda moved back home very cool Um, and Miranda so you actually you came out to Ottawa from Winnipeg what was that like for you to make that transition Uh, I was really grateful to meet good friends like Stephanie because I think that made all the difference Uh, I had, of course, lived at home prior to that. So that was my first moving out. uh, And I really went big and went to a whole new city. Uh, But I I loved Carleton and I loved the experience of living in Ottawa because I got 
to work on Parliament Hill at the same time and just build some connections and experience out there. So I, I hope that my kids, when they get older, that they're open to that experience of, of traveling a bit and maybe going to university outside of the province. That's very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Um, and then I guess you flash, flash forward a bunch of years and you decide to start Women Don't Do That. Talk to me mm-hmm. a little bit about what the podcast means to you and how, the, how it even came about. Uh, Stephanie, maybe you want to get started. Sure. Well, it's kind of an extension of how we met each other because over the years, Moran and I have continued to fly out every couple of years or almost every year to to see each other. And I had kind of crazily decided to run for politics uh, federally. So I quit my full-time job and was running for nomination for political party. And I had lost the race and I had decided to go visit Miranda and I was out there and she was kind of being my therapist. We were going through like, what did I want to do now? And it, it felt very, in some ways, very liberating because it's not very often you have time off of work as a professional to really consider what do I want to do now? Do I want to do the same things? Do I want to do something different? We unpacked some of the sexism I, I faced during my campaign and I'd been doing a lot of thinking and it, it was so funny. We honestly just decided that day, why don't we do a podcast? And we made up a name and bought the URL the same day. Like it was insane. I know, Miranda, what would you add to that? We didn't overthink it. Uh, it just felt really right. I remember even when you said the name, because we were sitting at my kitchen table, Stephanie, and we were trying to think of a name and you said, what about women don't do that? I was like, yes. <laughs> and I've had so many compliments on the name since, right? Like just the cheekiness of it. Uh, and I think that it really speaks to the whole purpose of the podcast. And, and like you said, you'd experienced the sexism in the campaign and at different points in your career. And we'd both been raised with different uh, ideas of what a woman should, do, what women should do and what men should do and this sort of thing. And so we both had a lot of views that we wanted to discuss and conversations we wanted to have. And okay. here we are. That's awesome. And your name is awesome. It's, uh, it's perfect for, for your podcast. Um, and Miranda, so what are, like, what are your goals with the podcast? What, what is it that you're trying to achieve? I have been so inspired with uh, the interviews that we've got to, to, to have, with the conversations we've got to have with women. And I have also been really inspired by the feedback that we've been getting, right? When, when people say to us, like, oh, I... You know, that interview with Tanya Joshan, like the the founder of Steep Tea, now Sipology, like she built this $20 million business and like she took risks. She worked so hard and she's so authentic in the interview. Like she really uh, shares the challenges of, of even, you know, dealing with the business at the size it is now. But some of the initial challenges starting out, like uh, our goal for the podcast, I think, is continue to have those really meaningful, really authentic conversations and to inspire women to think outside of the box for their own lives, like maybe boundaries that they've put on themselves or that they've allowed society or other people to put on them, to, to recognize them and to move past them. Uh, that is really why we do this and, and our goals going forward. Well, I mean, I th- and I think it's such an important conversation to have. And, and you know, it's funny, even with... with uh... With, with my with this podcast and run it like a girl um sometimes you know most of the most of the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive but i always find there's there's a couple people and generally it is it is, it is men who are like well you know why women why are you interviewing women um and yes. it's, it's funny that i you know obviously 
women have come a long way in terms of rights, but it is still not equal rights. There are still barriers that we face that men don't. There are still um, different challenges, different experiences that we have. So I think stories that you're telling and your and the conversations you're having um, are really helpful and kind of opening people's minds up and, and, and hearing these other perspectives. So I think it's great work that you guys do. Um, and I'd like to step back a second um, to something, Stephanie, that you said, which was about running for political office, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously politics is still largely dominated by, by males in the profession. So as a, as a fairly young woman as well, which I think is a, a whole added layer actually in terms of, of, of careers and career pro- progression, how, what made you decide to get into politics and, and would, you, would you ever do it again? Mm, those are big questions. Um, I think partially I have always had the want to help people and solve problems. And, and I think sometimes that means you have to do, right? Like not just say, but do things. And so I think wanting to contribute to politics in a really tangible way was a way for me to do that. Unfortunately, so the MP for my home riding had actually died in office. And so for me, it was a bit of an opportunity. It was a safe political riding. So if you run the nomination, you were likely to become the member of parliament. And so for me, it also was a bit of, if I think I could want to do this, I kind of have to do it now because this person could be in office for the next 30 years. And you know, I certainly could run in Ottawa or in other communities, but um, rural communities is also where I grew up and something I was really wanting to contribute to as well. And I tend to be a person, Miranda will probably laugh when I say this, to not overthink certain things. And so for me, I it was honestly very, very far in the back of the, my mind that I would ever want to do that. And he passed away. And then I just decided that I would do it and quit my job. It was like not that rational. <laughs> it was just yeah, this is the moment and I I want to contribute. And then I think in terms of what I would I run again, I think it's something I'm still processing and would have to think about. I do see I do get very frustrated around a lot of the political narratives. I think that too often we're too partisan. There's a lot of negativity. Um I think a lot of times people don't realize there are a lot of people in the country that just think differently than you, which is, you know, why we're doing the podcast. And sometimes that does mean stepping in the ring. And so I would be open to it, but I I can't say with 100% certainty that I'm like ready to do that tomorrow. No, I mean, and I think it obviously takes a lot of courage to do that in the first place, to put yourself out there, quit your job and put everything into it. So um, I think... Uh... I think it's incredible that, that you did that. Um, and kind of like almost in the same vein, and maybe Miranda, you can, you know, and we talked slightly about this, about the different barriers that women still face in their professional careers. I'd love to know, um, you know, what you think needs to be done to ever achieve actual and full equality in the workplace from whether it's having more women on boards of directors, having more women in leadership positions, whatever it means to you. I would love your thoughts on that. Stephanie and I talk about this often, uh, you know, the two of us, but also on the podcast. But something that I'm really passionate about is raising kids who don't see the lines and the blue and the pink roles that so many of us have been raised with and so many of us see. And I really believe that if I can raise sons who 
uh, are presented with the option of staying home with their kids. If, you know, if one day they're part of a family and they, they want to stay home and be the primary caregiver to their children, they recognize that that's an equally valid option for them as it is for a woman. And if their wife wants to pursue her career or, you know, their partner wants to pursue a career while they're at home, that's fine. And, and I think if we can raise our, raise daughters with that same idea of, uh, you know, there's no certain box you have to fit in, then that's when we'll see really significant changes in all of the systems, right? Because we say all the time that we value staying home with kids and women can do anything, but we also need to say that we value then men also staying home with kids and men can do anything. And so it's not just about uh, changing women's roles. It's about opening things up for men so that there's a quality all the way across. I, I mean, I, I think that's an excellent point. And it's interesting what you say, you know, like that it's, it doesn't matter who it is, man, woman, whoever, it's valid for anyone to choose to stay home with their kids. And I think it's funny, especially now during COVID of how many times I get asked about my kids and the childcare. But I think when I look around the room um, or the Zoom call <laughs> um, that, you know, like those questions aren't being asked to the men, but they're sitting at home with their kids too, right? And I mean, I'm very fortunate. My husband probably picks up more of the weight than I do in terms of during the workday because um, his workstation is more out in the public, whereas I close myself off as an, in an office. Um, but it's just, it's interesting to me. And I think that's the kind of conversation that shouldn't be based on the sex of the person you're talking to, but more just a conversation we're having around the challenges everyone faces having your mm-hmm. children at home. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. that requires, I think, women letting go to some extent also. Like Sheryl Sandberg in her book, Leans In, talks about make your partner a real partner. And she has mm-hmm. since talked about what a privilege that is, you know, having lost her husband. Uh, but if you are in that sort of relationship, like really model for your kids what an, what a balanced family looks like, what an equal partnership looks like. And actually, I wrote a post about that uh, early on, uh, you know, on our website, uh, how to know if you are in a, a, an equal partnership and just some some questions to ask, you know, is this really a balanced relationship? Yes, which is so important. Stephanie, anything that you want to add to that? I would add things like, Caroline Riseborough, she was one of the people we interviewed. She used to be the president of Plan Canada, um, and she is now the CEO of Trillium Health Partners Foundation. And she had also talked about women not taking themselves out of the ring and the barriers that we sometimes place on ourselves unknowingly in many situations. So I think that's an important conversation. And then also, and we kind of already talked about this, but also actions that men can take. I think Depending on where you work, there's lots of conversations about equality and inclusion, but there's many places in the country where those conversations aren't happening at all. And so recognizing that people have different places where they're starting from and that men really need to take action if they're in leadership roles. You can't just hope that more women get in other positions. You need to do things like having unconscious bias training. There's research to prove that when you... um, do certain kinds of tests, people will pick men over women. And so there's different things that can actually be done. And I think uh, like seeing action is really important. It's so funny as I'm listening to you, Stephanie, I'm like bouncing on my chair because I have so much more to say about it. It's such an exciting topic. (laughs) But one other thing I'll add, because I know we have lots to talk about too, but along what you were saying, Stephanie, we need mentorship right? Like we, we need both men and women who have progressed in their careers to look and see who they can help, who's starting out in their career and how they can support women as they navigate 
whatever industry you're in, I think that mentorship piece has been key for me uh, and uh, is really a, a way to uh, create more equity, diversity, and inclusion in workplaces. Absolutely. And I think, um, and I think uh, you're, you're right. Mentorship is, is totally key. And I think um, you were all right in saying that, you know, men need to come to the table and offer up these kind of roles. And I know I've, you know, in previous research or, or classes I've taken or, or things, you know, where they talk about how it's just easier if there's men in leadership positions, it's easier to form more bonds with people that are like you or people that have the same views or just the fact that you go to the same gym as someone and you're in the change room together or you go out for beers after work and you you might not want to do that with a woman or you might not like it might just be different. So I think it's absolutely crucial that uh, men and women equally come to the table for these for these kind of conversations. Uh, and I remember going to a an International Women's Day event. And uh, afterwards, someone said to me, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, I thought it was a really awesome event, except that I actually counted the number of men in the room and there was five, you know, and the room was Mm. full. (laughs) So um, (laughs) we need the men to come to the table as well, because there are so many wonderful and amazing champions of women out there. And we just need to make sure that those voices are heard too, because 50% of the population cannot accomplish it alone. So I, Amen, Bonnie. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I may be passionate about this. I'm not. <laughs> I, I also could ramble on for a long time about it. Um, but I've also been fortunate in my career to have great mentors. Uh, I guess I'd like to, to move a little bit uh, now. Like you hear a lot, um, and I think it's both, you know, in professional and personally, you hear a lot about the word resilience and, and, and what it means and, 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 and why it is so important. I'd love to hear, um, and maybe Miranda, we'll start with you. Just what does resilience mean to you? To me, resilience is about choosing self-compassion over self-pity or self-doubt. And I think if we can believe in our ability to go through hard things, believe in our uh, ability to get back up and keep going, that that, that nurtures that resilience that I believe is in all of us. But if we stay in a place of feeling sorry for ourselves, if we let others feel sorry for ourselves, that becomes the driving narrative that we, that we get stuck in. And it's so hard to move forward from that position. And then you really, you really almost numb or silence that voice inside of you that's pushing you forward. You take on a victim mentality. So I, I think if we can choose to to be compassionate and kind with ourselves while at the same time not feeling sorry or pitying ourselves, uh, then that is really actually a position of strength where you can, you know, that self-love can get you through whatever crisis you're in. And I think, I think that's a, uh, and I don't know, I don't know if skill's the right word, but it, it, I mean, I think skill is the right word, but um, it must be. Uh, skill is the right word. It, it, yeah. Is the right, and how you, how you. I don't know if it's learn it or, or figure that out. Or if you had, and I know I've, I've listened to your podcast and I've listened to your story, uh, Miranda, about some of the things that you've been through um, and the loss of a child and, um, and, and just your life. Is it a skill that you have to develop out of necessity or is it a skill that you can create so that when you need it, you can pull from it? That's such a great question, Bonnie. I love it. Uh, well, one of my favorite authors and researchers Uh, is Brene Brown, and she writes and communicates so beautifully about this. I I absolutely think you can build and teach resilience right into very young children. 
giving them the opportunities to solve problems, giving them the opportunities to sit with difficult emotions, not feeling like you need to rescue them or save them every time they struggle with something. Uh, but certainly when I lost my son, uh, I, I had to do a lot of work. I, I really had to, to read a lot, to you know, watch a lot of uh, positive you know, messages, if you will. Uh, I, I had to make sure that I was feeding myself regularly with hopeful messages and encouraging messages and tools uh, to keep moving forward. Uh, so I, I think it's both really, um, generally in life, a lot of times we see that, uh, you know, we, you know, we talk about how maybe a certain generation of, of young people right now doesn't necessarily have that same grit and tenacity that is necessary to really succeed. And so I know I'm really mindful as a parent to do some of those things that research tells us can help build those skills from a young age. Uh, but it's something you can choose to learn at any point in your life. And, and I would say Brene Brown is a phenomenal resource if that's something that somebody uh, wants to delve into. She's been extremely helpful for me in my own journey. Excellent. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and, and Stephanie, I'd love your pers- perspective as well, because like, and I, I like what you said about children and, and teaching them resilience from a young age, because because uh, um, I think you're right. I think there is a generation that maybe it didn't get taught to as well. Um, but, uh, Stephanie, you're, you're a mother as well. Um, I'd love to hear Mm -hmm. your thoughts on, on that and, and how you try to instill that in, in your own family. Well, one thing I can say is that I always feel so lucky to know Miranda and to have been in relationship with her while she's walked through some of these struggles. Cause I just learn so much about resilience and choosing joy from, from learning from her. Uh, Recently, I've been dealing with um, some illness myself. I have chronic migraines. um, And I think for me, resilience is keeping going uh, through. You have to keep doing the work to keep moving forward with regardless of what you're going through. And I love to solve problems. And I think one of the ways I do that is I like work through something difficult is, is by solving problems. And I've learned through what I've been dealing with more recently that I can't there sometimes there's a problem that I can't solve. And so that's been a challenge that I've been working through. So, and I think through walking through some of those difficult challenges and experiences, uh, my kids are learning um, that it's okay to go through hard things and how you can, can work through those things. I think that's I, – I, I love that point that you said about uh, your kids seeing you and seeing you go through things and how they're learning from that. And I can say even, you know, I think my parents kind of sheltered me from – like I never knew if anything was <laughs> – I would never have known if anything was less than perfect. But uh, as you grow older and things start happening, I think I think you're right. If you To see how someone is struggling or how they're working through um, whatever it is that they're facing in life is a, is a great role model for children to have and to learn from. Um, so I think that's really great that you're taking that approach to something that's so unfortunate for you and, and a struggle that you're having um, to see the, mm-hmm. the lessons that can be learned from it. Yeah. And I think there's a lot you can learn from having really honest conversations with your kids, even like during COVID asking them how they're doing. And for, it was really interesting. One point in my career, I was doing a lot of media and my daughter didn't want me on TV because she was afraid that people might make fun of me. 
And I was like, oh. oh my goodness. And and she said, well, what if they don't like your hair or what if this? And I, I kind of said, well, mommy doesn't really care what they think. Mm-hmm. And just having some of those really important conversations. I'm really lucky. One of my kids is very verbal and can really describe what's bothering her. So I always find it so fascinating what's going on in, in her little mind, but it does allow us to have some pretty fascinating conversations, which is, which is fun. Sorry. Uh, did you have anything that you want to add? To oh, <laughs> I was going to add, you know, one thing that research shows is that kids actually have better outcomes generally growing up in families where their parents make mistakes and then uh, have a, a, a healthy repair of those mistakes, right? So when the, when the parent actually says to the kid, I'm sorry, uh, that decision or that behavior wasn't in line with my values. And, you know, I, I apologize to you. I want to show you respect and whatnot. That actually builds trust and intimacy in your relationship with your children uh, in, in a much deeper way than if your child just continually perceives you to be flawless and to never struggle or make mm-hmm. mistakes. And I, that, I find that so encouraging uh, no, <laughs> as a parent. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think, I think that's great. I think also the importance of humanizing your parents, right. And what, what, um, mm-hmm. you know, mistakes that they do make. One thing I say to my kids a lot, cause I mean, I say sorry way too much. I say it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually, someone said it to me. It was okay. actually a guy I worked with. <laughs> And he said, don't say sorry to me anymore because it doesn't mean anything when you say it because you say it all the time. He said, so don't say it to me unless there's something that you truly have to be sorry for. Otherwise, it means nothing. And I actually held that with me. I thought, well, that's really, you know, that's actually really smart advice. So I find sometimes my kids, you know, if they're especially being everyone together for the last six months without a without (laughs) any kind of break, my kids are fighting more and and. and, you know, and getting, maybe getting on our, our nerves a little more than they would. But we have that conversation all the time. You can't say sorry and then turn around and do it again. You need to learn from the mistakes that you make. And I think to your point, parents have to do that too, right? You have to be willing to say, you're right. I shouldn't have yelled at you for that. That was, that was my fault. I am sorry about that. And I will do better to have uh, a better conversation with you or something like that. So I just thought, I thought that was a really interesting point you made. Absolutely. I think for the, for building trust, it's all about the really meaningful repair and then, being uh, true to your word going forward to the to the greatest extent possible. None of us is perfect, but mm-hmm. I totally agree, Bonnie. For sure. And I think it's interesting in times like this and COVID and things like that where everything's just so different. It's so different for kids, right? And it's so different for parents and everyone's just trying to figure it out together. So I think it's been, for our family anyway, it's been a real experience in um, in raw emotions and, and trying to, to learn how to, you know, because no one's going to work, nobody's going to school, no one's going to sports, nobody's doing anything um, except existing. So in one way, it's been amazing to get to spend all this time with your family. And another, there's been a lot of conversations happening, mm-hmm. um, which I guess, you know, maybe in 10 years, we'll all look back and, and wish for a time where we could hide out in our, our houses again, hopefully under <laughs> so better So many growth opportunities. <laughs> a lot of growing, a lot of wine. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we're actually at, so this question we ask everyone in our podcast and Stephanie, maybe we'll start with you. Um, and then, uh, Miranda, you can just answer as well. But the question is that if you were to go back in time and have lunch with maybe a 20 year old version of yourself, what would that conversation look like? What, what would you be talking about? So I think I would say two things. So one would be trust your instincts and encouraging them to stand up for themselves when I was in my early career, I had multiple experiences with, with sexual harassment at the workplace. And in most cases, I quit the job. 
And looking back, I wish I had have stood up and said something and pushed back. And I was scared. And I wish I had done that differently. And I don't know that it would have changed anything even if somebody told me that. But I I think I was scared or ashamed of it. And I, I think learning to trust your instincts is a really important skill set. And then the second thing I would say is that what what you think are your weaknesses or what other people tell you are your weaknesses later in life or through your career will be seen as your strengths. So like, for example, when I was a kid, I talked a lot and like, like all the time, it was really annoying. And like my, my sister and others would call me blabbermouth and just different things like that, that, um, you know, I think I, it took me some time to learn to socialize. Like, it's okay to talk, but you also need to listen to others and, and that kind of stuff. But um, having a strong personality was lots of times I was kind of told to get in the box, get in the box. And I think it's empowering to know that some of those things I struggled with or, or were, were uh, told were weaknesses actually turned out to be strengths. And that's very empowering. Yeah, I love the question, Bonnie, and I love your answer, Stephanie. That was such a great answer. Uh, I think about my 20-year-old self being in university, and I would tell her to be less risk-averse and to follow your curiosity more. I know I was so committed to getting excellent grades in university and maintaining my scholarship that I often took the path of least resistance. And it wasn't about, you know, what subject am I most curious to tackle in this class? It was, what is the easiest way to get an A in this class? And I, I would absolutely go back and tell myself, follow your curiosity, take the risk. This is about learning and growing. And if you get a C on this paper, but you thoroughly enjoy the process and you learn something new, that's so much more valuable than writing about something you already know and getting an A. And then I think to that, you know, carry that forward, carry that willingness to fail or that willingness to to suck at something new. I I, I think that that requires so much bravery. You know, go ahead and try something new and be willing to struggle for a little bit until you figure it out. Get in over your head. Uh, I I I think that the the points in my life and my career where I've really been able to break through something is when I've said yes to something that scared me. Like and the podcast. <laughs> I like the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, and just went for it despite the fear. So that would be uh, that and all the things Stephanie just said, I would say all that to my 20 <laughs> Well, that's great. Um, and that actually brings us kind of to the end of the formal uh, questions from the podcast. Uh, but we have something called the fast three. Um, it's a way to find out kind of like a great reading list and, um, and other information, uh, that I can use and that our guests can use. Um, but I'm just going to ask three questions and basically, so I'll ask the first one, uh, to you, Stephanie, and then it'll be the same question to you, Miranda. And then I'll start the second question with you, Miranda, and then Stephanie, you can answer that one as well. Um, so we'll start with you, Stephanie. And the first question is, what is your favorite podcast or source of information? So it might make you laugh, but it's Canadian True Crime with Christy Lee. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Stephanie really likes to read and listen to podcasts for escapism. <laughs> and I am all about like, it needs to be serious content, <laughs> tangible takeaway lessons. <laughs> <laughs> but I think actually there's value in both, right? So 
but my favorite podcast, um, well, the first podcast I ever discovered was Oprah's Super Soul Conversations. And I just pretty much devoured all of her content and listened to some episodes just over and over again. Uh, because she really, you know, she gets to interview the person who actually wrote the book on emotional intelligence or she, you know, she gets to interview these incredible thought leaders. And so I love her style and uh, I, I enjoy enjoy that podcast. That's awesome. It's funny. I kind of land somewhere in between both of you. I, I like podcasts for both reasons. Um, obviously, the podcast of, to get all started of all podcasts, Serial, um, was like one of my favorite ever uh, for true crime. Um, and then I also like ones that have my takeaways for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Miranda, what are you currently reading? I just finished Becoming by Michelle Obama. I think I'm maybe a year behind. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> had already read it and told me how great it was. But I, I, I finished that one and, and really enjoyed it. Uh, and I just finished um, Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle. And then just last night, I'm so excited. I had ordered uh, several weeks ago now Dare to Lead by Brene Brown and White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And so those both arrived last night. And I'm so excited. So, so you know what you're I, doing uh, tonight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know which one to start with. But uh, they'll, they'll both be excellent, I'm sure. Excellent. How about you, Stephanie? Not surprisingly, I am reading a book by Lucy Folly. It's called The Guest List, and it is a crime story. <laughs> is that your favorite genre? Is crime? Yes. Yes. I, I tend to – I do listen to some of the other types of podcasts, more thought leadership in podcasts, but I, I do sometimes have a harder time reading the book because I'm a very actionable person. And so it becomes like if the book has – you know, 50 key points, I want to do all the 50 key points. So, <laughs> so, so stresses you yeah. out more than uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. anything. I can appreciate that. So um, Stephanie, I'll just ask you, who's currently inspiring you? One of the people that's really inspiring me is Kayla Gray. She is a sports journalist in Canada, and she has been very vocal um, through the Black Lives Matter conversation. And one of the things I love about Kayla is I don't know her at all, but she is very inspiring because she speaks her truth, even though people may or may not agree. And I think she's speaking it now in a different way than she maybe felt empowered to in the past. I don't know if that is true, but I, I would guess. And it's just really refreshing. She's not the only one, but I love when people feel empowered to speak their truth. And and I and you don't have to agree, but um but it's just empowering to see that. How about yourself, Rand? I really am inspired by all the women that we've interviewed on our podcast. It's been such a privilege to get to engage and hear so many different stories. Um, this year, I interviewed Jen Harper. She's an Indigenous woman and the founder of Cheekbone Beauty. And her story of basically uh, starting this social enterprise while working a full-time job and raising a family... Uh, I mean, it's amazing. Like you can just hear the incredible passion that she has for indigenous youth and for making a difference uh, and also for creating a really excellent product. Uh, so she's someone that's inspiring me. And uh, I, I look forward to all the different conversations we're going to get to have too with authentic women. I think anytime a woman shares her story and owns her story with authenticity, that's inspiring. 
That's very powerful. Um, well, I just want to thank you both for taking time out of your days to come and chat with me. And um, I'm just really excited that we finally got to do this. And it's been a pleasure speaking with you both. So thank you so much for joining us for an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Thanks, Bonnie. It's been so much thank fun. Thank you so much for having us. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak and music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk.